Hello. Hey, Ronald. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. That's good. Hey, Ronald. Hey, Steve. Hey, John. Hello. Hey, fellers. <laughs> How's it going? Well, it's going well. Uh, we, we, even better now that we're here for a, a new episode of Movie Schmovie. Uh, oh, yeah. We uh, we called an audible and got together tonight for a, like a kind of a special recap, discuss how do we feel about the uh, Academy Awards, uh, which just aired last night at a crisp three hours and 20 minutes and change, I think. So they kind of mm. got in under the radar from prior, prior years. Prior? Previous? Prior? Prior? Try to join some words there. Yeah, it's, it's weird when three and a half hours is brisk yeah. for a uh, show. Yeah. But this was like yeah. a strangely streamlined show. And I think right out of the gate, you can say that that, that no host thing really, really panned out as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. I kind of agree. Yeah. Yeah, what... what turned out what started off as a very controversial very strange situation kind of turned into a beautiful one and it gave a lot of uh time for a lot of voices that may not have been heard if if there were a host so yeah i kind of like that it also kind of put more emphasis i thought on the odd pairings of people that come out and present an award oh yeah like henry i was watching it with my 11 year old son and i couldn't quite explain to him why it was funny that Helen Mirren and Jason Momoa were presenting an award together. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, it made those little moments more important because you weren't being kind of guided through the show by this by this person who really does at some point become just an, another person standing there telling you what you're about to see. And right. it, it, you know, outside of the opening section of the show, I don't know that you really feel the need for a host. And this year they, they kind of proved that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about because like, for something that kind of came about from like kind of a mishandling or just a bad situation with, you know, finding the right host this year and hosts that didn't end up, you know, panning out or, you know, the word was that a lot of people just like didn't want to do it after the Kevin Hart thing. And even before then, I don't, I don't know that that was ever the first choice, but I mean, it was kind of widely speculated that like, you know, there were feelers out to a lot of other personalities that they had targeted that just didn't want to do it. And, you know, it could end up being like a blessing for them if they kind of double down on this idea and try it again next year. Or I don't know if they'll revert back to having a host, but um, it does kind of afford them the opportunity to like do some other things with the show and maybe try even more things next year, like a little more well thought out and discuss things before they announce them maybe. Mm. But, um, you know, like, you know, the musical number to open the show, like whether you liked queen or bohemian rhapsody or whatever like it was different and i mean you know it was okay I, I didn't think it was anything special but it was okay and it was like a welcome to the oscars and it was really not a conversation on anything that would insult someone or that somebody would say was or was not funny you know it was just like a it, this is music this is one of the most celebrated films of the year and you know this is the band that it's basically not based on but you know one of the the, the key figure is a part of and I know it was, it was interesting. Like the more I thought about it today, when we were talking about getting together tonight, it was like it could be one of those moments where, like, you know, ten years from now, if they if they decide like we don't need a host every year unless there's like a very clear option or someone that is just the absolute right choice. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe it's something that they that they don't need. And I mean, it's weird though because like I felt that way, and then as soon as. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph came up there. I'm just like, that kind of energy is what I think a lot of the hosts that they've had have been missing. But but that's not. But I mean, but the thing that that 
is pretty realistic though is that that's probably not sustainable across three hours so maybe it is best that they just do these great pairings or like kind of every every third one is really good and you have like a great duo that has a nice line or has a nice chemistry and that kind of keeps it going as opposed to a host that maybe comes out strong and by the end of the night like you said john just basically becomes a middleman between introducing you to the people that are going to introduce you to the nominees for an award Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's a it's a very lean approach well hasn't it always been this weird thing anyway of being a job that seems like a great honor but also kind of a thankless job really does. I mean, for some of the reasons that we just discussed but yeah. always there's always so much nitpicking and, and criticizing after the show Absolutely. i mean i've seen yeah. people that i don't particularly like get out there and bust their ass to try to put on a good show and it's it's not really the host's fault that the oscars is not really set up to be this great viewing experience most of the time and i think that that is something that kind of you know so the host almost gets blamed for that year's show being bloated or having weird moments and awkward speeches and cutoffs of people that you want to hear talk. Yeah. All these problems, and the host kind of becomes the mascot for for that. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that nobody really wanted to take the job, I do find that kind of interesting. Right. Uh, like you said, the, the Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, uh, Maya Rudolph grouping at the front, it did make me wonder, though, oh, well, could, could we have just gotten them? Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about all that, Ronald? Would you take the job? You're a comedian. They usually like to go with a comedian. Well, I mean, to, to counter the whole thing about against Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, and Amy Poehler hosting is one of the years of the Mark Twain Awards, the comedy awards where they celebrate uh, a comedian for the year. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler post hosted one year, and that's about three hours, and they killed it. And I think, I think the argument is always against, um, you know, people don't want to say this sort of thing, but as there's some sexism when it comes to the perception of women being funny for long periods of time or being funny in general. Yeah, and I yeah. think what we're, what's starting to be prove, proven is they killed that. I mean, they, that, that segment that they had was the the funniest part. It was genuinely funny. I didn't feel like I was like laughing out of pity. They were hilarious and they're just funny people. And I, th- I think the, the whole qualifier of women Funny, funny women comedians, funny qualifier putting female or woman ahead of those things needs to stop. People are just funny. And I think that they could take on the job. They, they're, they, they've proven time and time again in the things that they've appeared in that they can carry something. So I don't know. I, I would never host it, but <laughs> I can see them doing really well. And I, I think that they have something that a lot of comedy duos don't have. And and Maya Rudolph would be incredible because she can sing her ass off. No, she can. Hey, Ronald, I've got two things I want to say. One is, should we start deleting some of your old tweets just to, to get ahead of man, this? Man, I, look, I did, a, I did a cleanse last year, man. <laughs> I, I, I didn't write anything that crazy, but I'm, I'm seeing what's happening to people. Did you hear about what they're doing with Twitter, the the like edit thing? Like you could comment on a tweet you put now that they're trying to do that? Oh. Twitter has kind of proposed that you you can't change the tweet, but you can comment on the tweet. You, you can kind get, of annotate it. Yeah, you can annotate it. That's like a thing that they're throwing around that's supposed to be in beta pretty soon. 
which is interesting. No, I, I went back and deleted some old tweets where I had retweeted someone who is now recognized as a piece of shit. That's what I did. That's smart, man. And I, and I, and I took away a few of my responses to people that like I, I was a fan of once, you know. Uh, yeah, but aside yeah, yeah. from that, I don't think I had... I may have had one joke that to me felt like, boy, this doesn't play um, <laughs> uh, now. Oh, well, the other thing, though, I wanted to say about that, though, with regard to Amy Poehler and uh, Tina Fey and Maya Rudolph was, as I said that my 11-year-old son... Didn't you know? Didn't quite get some of the jokes, but he totally gets who they are. He's seen Thirty Rock. He's seen Parks and Rec. He's seen Maya Rudolph on on Saturday Night Live and popping up here and there. He knows who they are. He was laughing his head off at them, and he said, "You know what makes them so funny is you can tell that they're friends." And I was like, "You know what? It's true. That th- again, as what you were saying, Ronald, about maybe that might be the future of this type of broadcast is like, yeah, let's get the people who actually are the funniest and the smartest." I mean, I guess that's what they typically try to do, but try to get them in to just be funny and just set the tone for the night yeah. and not necessarily have to then turn into these these blank people who just are telling you what the what the big voiceover can tell you now, which is who's about to step up to the podium. Right, so, right. So, yeah, in that way, I think it was a it was a more enjoyable show. And I do remember feeling really energized by that particular bit and thinking, wow, this is going to be a fun show. And even the We Are the Champions performance, you know, that's not really my bag, that type of big spectacle. And I guess I've heard that song so many times, it's hard for me to have an emotional response to it. But I was thinking, oh, everyone kind of likes Adam Lambert, and everyone kind of likes this song. And it was kind of dorky watching all the all the Hollywood people getting into that song. But um, it felt very positive. Yeah. And I think that was something that I wasn't sure they could conjure up with everything we'd heard about this broadcast, if they could actually make it feel like a, a night you would want to be there for. And I think ultimately they did create that oh, yeah. feel. Definitely, man. Definitely. Did you guys have any particular favorite moments that that you that you caught throughout the night? Um, I think early on, I really loved seeing Regina King win, and then Chris Evans kind of like help her up the stairs. It was just like a really nice moment, and uh, I feel like there was a uh, like a bunch of stuff on Twitter, like Jamie Lee Curtis tweeting at him and them going back and forth. Because I guess I guess she recently played his mom in a film that they shot together, and <laughs> it was just like a cute exchange on Twitter, like. And you could like see Regina saying like "thank you, baby" like to him for helping her up the stairs. It was just like a really like these are people like you know these are like just some there's some like genuinely kind people in this room and like you know right. he's sitting in the front row as is she and it's like oh you know she's having trouble let me help her. And I don't know it's just like a really just to start the night off like I felt like it was like a nice personal human thing to do and it just like wasn't stupid or funny at all it was just like a genuine thing he really is captain america yeah, <laughs> yeah truly <laughs> and did, did you notice that super uh like courtly thing he did with like he stuck one arm out for his her, arm yeah and then his, uh, and, but then his other arm he brought in uh-huh. his kind of coat and yeah. kind of held it against his chest i mean i don't know I th- he looked like some old world gentleman uh <laughs> and i i love seeing that but that that's exactly the kind of thing i'm talking about that's part of that tone it's felt it felt like there was a lot of goodwill yeah. uh, amongst the people in this room and right down to the fact that you can tell when someone's displeased. There were definitely some reactions later in the show that you could tell. Uh, like Spike Lee was not pretending to be happy for Green Book. No yeah. way. Um, I don't even think Samuel L. Jackson seemed that. Wasn't he the one that announced that award? Yeah, or am I wrong yeah, he, did, yeah he did. Uh, he did. Uh, what is that? Original screenplay. Yeah. So it was original screenplay and adapted screenplay. And he did both of those, right? Yeah. Him and Brie Larson did. They did, they did Black Klansman first, and it was like, excitement, excitement, excitement. And then it was like, <laughs> Sam Jackson had to read Green Book as a winner <laughs> right. right afterwards. It was strange to see that Spike Lee has just as much trouble reading his own writing as I do Oh yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I, I felt the same. 
Did you do you know the context of why why it was so weird for him to read? Uh, Trevor Noah took a picture of Spike Lee writing his speech before <laughs> before he went on. He was like <laughs> in a corner writing down a speech on some paper, and uh, Trevor Noah took a picture of him. He's like hunched over <laughs> writing writing his speech. I think he just kind of rushed it. Which is super yeah. funny. I was just glad that he won, and I can't believe he's not won before, right? Five nominations yeah, and first win? Never, That's crazy. never won. It is insane to me. But no better person to announce him. That was just that was a great highlight. I also thought Olivia Coleman's speech was was just great. She was so charming and funny, and she like seemed like she really was taken aback. But it also felt like a, a good comedian who was almost doing a bit uh, because of her little asides and stuff were just so so funny. That was a big moment. Like seeing her win and seeing Regina King win. Those were both actresses that I've seen in things and I've appreciated their their uh, presence over the years. And so it was cool to see people like that win. Um, uh, you know, on top of some of the other great performances that were nominated that didn't win. I like, I like the, I think I like all the actors that won. When I look at that, that row of people, I think those are all people that I'm really happy to see get yeah, a, a recognition. Yeah. <clears throat> the, uh, I feel like, um, so two, two other things that I felt like the bit that, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Melissa McCarthy did was pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And honestly, man, like I thought the, I thought the, uh, Gaga and, uh, Bradley Cooper performance for the song Shallow was I, I thought it was amazing I thought, I thought it was such a amazing good job. T- I thought it was amazing too it, it almost was too much sexual tension especially if Bradley <laughs> brought his girlfriend there that was weird man like I I I love that performance but I couldn't help but think I wonder how Bradley's girlfriend feels about what are they going to be saying later? Like, what what's the conversation like <laughs> later tonight? Yeah, they almost made love on stage. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, genuinely, genuinely, when they were done performing, like we were all watching it, and like I honestly was like, "Holy shit, are they about to kiss?" Yes. And I was like, it, "It was it was so strong, and like their chemistry is amazing." I've heard people all day saying that, like these two people want to fuck, right? I mean, that's what we think when we see those <laughs> right, two together. Right. It's like, right. this is an unfakeable level of lust, but maybe they're both just that good at uh, you know the performative aspect of of what they're doing. I don't know, man. You know, I do think that he got kind of a raw deal, even though I know we're not going to, we're not going to feel sorry for Bradley Cooper, but uh, I think it was you, Steve, that pointed out that this was a movie that really seemed like a front runner and a shoe in back when it, it came really, out. It's, and it, and it's it sort did, of man. like, it sort of dropped and disappeared. And it made me think about how things sometimes somehow just officially the word on them is that, Oh, that wasn't as good as we thought, or, Oh, that was a disappointment or it just gets forgotten. Sometimes things that are really great get a, uh, I don't know, get a middle finger, uh, just be I don't know why I, it felt like there was something about this movie that people weren't weren't in a hurry to support um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I don't know if you noticed that I definitely yeah I mean I think it's like it, for that specific case in, like for that case it's like I almost feel like it peaked too early because like you know through early mid-November like that was the movie everyone was still talking about like it's going to win every award it's going to be like you know the next Titanic kind of thing where it could hit every every category or most of the categories and um, I, I think it was a case of like it peaking a little too early and some movies coming in after it and really kind of sustaining a little more, like specifically Green Book and, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and even Roma. But like, I think it's like weird. I've been reading a lot about this today on some of these think pieces from last night's ceremony. It's like there's a lot of conversation about like how Bradley Cooper just did not like what is it? What is, I don't know the word like go with the flow of this whole awards campaigning stuff Mm. like 
there was either like a Vanity Fair variety piece that came out like a couple, like a month or so ago. It was like a, it was a profile on him where like it just, it didn't, it didn't paint him in a very good light in terms of like the attention of everything that he'd done for the film and getting it made and like the Gaga thing and how, you know, how much the movie changed over the years and, and you know, what it ultimately became. But I haven't really gone through and found all that stuff. And like, I'm looking at some videos and some interviews and some, you know, publicity stuff that he had done. And I mean, there is a little bit of a weird vibe that he's putting off in a lot of this stuff where I don't want to say like he comes off a little bit like he's like almost like bothered by the attention. But like, I feel like if this is that film, like this is your first directorial effort and it has a chance to be like that juggernaut and like really kind of put a stamp on music, um, you know, cinema in the history, whatever you want to call it, like. I don't know. The more I think about it, it's a it's a it's a weird situation because like it did seem like the film sustained itself for like a good month and a half as like this leader in terms of awards, you know, conversation. And then the next phase that usually kicks in is the you know shaking hand and kissing babies like part of the campaigning that I feel like he and even Lady Gaga past like you know the holidays were pretty absent from. I mean. Outside of like her having all the jokes about the ninety nine out of a hundred thing that she said over and over again, and like, oh it my just, god, it's just like the campaign for that whole film just seemed to kind of, I don't know, just like not exist. And then you look at other films that just like they were just hitting all the right notes, and you know, I don't know, it's just weird. Like I, I, I actually do feel for Bradley Cooper a little bit because I feel like it's a pretty amazing thing, and um. You know, it's cliche to say, but like, you know, when you look at these nominees and like talk about films that I feel like people will remember and be talking about 10 years from now, like there, none of those films, I, I, I don't, I don't see people talking about, I mean, I, this is my opinion, obviously, but like, I don't think that Green Book is going to be a film like that. I think movies like Black Panther and A Star is Born and, you know, even, and even Bohemian Rhapsody, like if I, you know, regardless of how I feel about that movie, I think those are movies that are going to be like a decade from now. People are going to talk about those films still. And yeah, it's just weird. It's just like a really weird thing for me. Cause I, I love that film, uh, stars born. And, um, I don't know. I just thought it was like a really impressive thing. Like, I think he's a great actor. Um, I, I actually enjoyed his performance like w- way more than lady Gaga's. I thought she was really good as well, but I thought Bradley Cooper was doing something really interesting with that character. And, to go completely unnoticed, like from like a front runner to winning one award that he doesn't even get to go on the stage for or have any acknowledgement for beyond maybe a thank you, uh, it's really weird to me. And like, I feel like that's one of the biggest things of the night that just did not feel right to me. And I'm just a guy from Baltimore that has no voice in this at all, but it just seems so weird that so many people were talking about A Star is Born and like, that's all that happened for it. Do you think he's bashful or stuck up, Ronald? I don't. Bradley Bradley Cooper doesn't strike me as a stuck up guy, man. I agree. What I'm starting to understand from, especially as this campaigning stuff happened, there was a narrative that was kind of created around Bohemian Rhapsody that I was not comfortable with, that I didn't realize was kind of sneaking up on me as an <laughs> award show went went by. It felt like there was a lot of praising throughout this thing indicating that this was going to win something big that seemed a little like no other movie was getting the attention that this movie was was getting even though look i understand that in terms of just content right um 
Bohemian Rhapsody is a, a far more accessible movie. Sure. Because it's a biopic. It's about a group you know. You know the hits. You can show this movie on TV. It'll repeat itself forever. But I think we have to kind of acknowledge that some sort of bias was happening during the course of this run as the months went by. I mean, we can argue the quality of Bohemian Rhapsody all day. And this thing getting best edit. And there was this thread that we kind of were looking at on Twitter where this one scene had like 30 edits in it for a scene that should have just been like a, a still camera watching these five or six people talk. Yeah, I think thirty is being kind. It's it's more like two hundred or something in that one scene. It's crazy to win for editing when that scene is so demonstrably poorly edited. But don't you think it's poorly edited because they didn't get the footage they needed or something? I feel it like had to be. It had to be. I, something was happening, and and it seemed like you know. How, I mean, I, I'm 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 really a big fan of how they uh, kind of segment off the the best mm-hmm. pictures throughout the throughout the show and i love how that feels because you know you, you're like okay they're just going to talk about this one movie I, I i don't know much about this movie i'm looking at clips of it they devoted so much time to bohemian rhapsody throughout it that it started to feel like every other movie that has a a broader bigger story still right. wasn't getting the attention like roma i mean for whatever it's it's worth a, a foreign language film that's up for best picture. I knew it wasn't going to win. I mean, because don't get me started on foreign language films in, in the Academy and, and, and like a winning best picture. Never have theories about that. But I was going to say the fact that this movie is nominated and it's so beautiful. The music seems really nice. I haven't seen the whole movie, man. And I still can acknowledge that this is a big achievement. To not have that movie acknowledged beyond a couple of things, I'm, and I'm not talking about the awards. I mean, just coverage like the throughout around the, it. Yeah. the whole program. Yeah, the conversation around it. Something was weird, man. I, I don't, and that feels like a conversation that we started on. That I kind of want to talk to you guys about the 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 split in the middle in terms of these two audiences that seem to exist in the academy. That I'm wondering how you guys feel about. Oh my God, that that's that's just like that's the big takeaway. I think we were talking this morning. Like, that's the big takeaway of the whole evening is that like, actually, real quick before we get into that, I wanted to say real real quick about the Queen feeling sure. or the Bohemian Rhapsody feeling throughout the whole mm-hmm. night. I think that it a lot of what influences that, and like I felt this is that it didn't help the other films that during probably every third commercial break there was probably a queen song featured somewhere in a commercial yes i don't know if you guys noticed that but there was a lot of like song placement in the ads last night that had queen music and not just like bohemian rhapsody but like somebody to love and uh, i think we are the champions was in another commercial like it was really weird that like when the telecast cut to a commercial and there was another queen song so like subliminally i was like queen was on my mind all night and that immediately makes you think of like Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody. Like I don't want to be thinking about that. Well, I mean, even opening the show with that performance, right, I think, right, made right, it seem right. like this is the Queen episode of the Oscars. It's weird. It is a weird thing, and it is a weird thing that that movie represents a certain kind of movie that barrels through that award season, and people keep talking about it, and it's it's inevitable. But when you're talking about the sort of split, I, I mean, I think Bohemian Rhapsody at least has this kind of populist 
fun aspect to it as far as people just loving those songs. Oh, yeah. That makes it almost an unlikely Oscar contender in some strange way, even though I know biopics have done kind of well. But as far as the split, as far as like Green Book being the movie that wins um, Best Picture, when you've got, and it's a it's a movie about race relations made by white people mostly. <laughs> um, and then you've got these great films up against it that are obvious choices as far as how important they were and their impact and an opportunity, even a movie like Black Panther, which I didn't really expect to win. But early on, I did start to entertain the idea that it could sweep um, and be like uh, the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. This is the year that we want to reward a a big crowd-pleasing tentpole movie. I could have seen Black Panther doing that. But as the night went on, I was like, oh, maybe not. If Beale Street Could Talk, which wasn't even nominated for Best Picture, it just felt very off that Green Book was the one that won and that... um, that it did seem to represent, I don't know if you saw this quote, and I, I don't really don't want to misquote something just to be uh, argumentative, but um, there was some quote from an Academy member who basically said that he felt hectored by all the negative attention that Green Book was getting. And, yes, and I saw that. And that he voted for it oh. because he didn't like being pushed around. It was it was sort of a veiled version of... Like, don't tell me what I shouldn't vote don't for. Don't tell me what I shouldn't vote for, but also it felt like an old guy saying, mm. don't tell, I don't want PC culture to tell me how to feel. It's kind of what it felt like. But, I mean, again, I'm reading that between the lines. Because I can't imagine any other reason that a person would be so reactionary that they would that they would make that call in this case. But, you know, if you just love the movie, like if the if he had said it was my favorite movie, I would be like, well, whatever your reasoning is, it's your favorite movie. But it didn't sound like he was saying that. He sounded like he said, I was, I'm reacting to right. being pressured to consider why this movie might not be worth celebrating, and that makes me uncomfortable, and so I'm going to vote for it. And it did make me think, just to come back around to that idea of a split, is how many people in the Academy are that way? Yeah. John, John. John, they're, right. John, they're just trying to make America great again. <laughs> I know. That's all. That's yeah. all. Just, just let them do it. I mean, they're just trying to. That's all they're doing. <laughs> well, that's what I. That's what I mean by the split. I mean, I did. I, I, I think just the idea that you can have something like Bohemian Rhapsody be representative of the best film of the year when you have movies that are kind of challenging the status quo. A lot of them. And and to to look these movies in the face and be like, you know what's better than these movies? A biopic that's, eh. I mean, like it, it's a paint by numbers biopic, man. Like let's let's be honest, like there could have been a better version of this film, but it's 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 a middle of the road. It it, it serves its purpose. It's very accessible. I see, and, and this is like where I have trouble, kind of like navigating like what should quote unquote be nominated for best picture because. The idea of having like a best popular film category is ludicrous to me. I think it's a horrible idea because, I mean, as representative of cinema, of where movies are, of what audiences like, of, of what the Academy likes, the Academy is made up of basically every arm of the filmmaking process. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that a film right. like Bohemian Rhapsody can't be nominated for best picture, just like I feel like Black Panther is a oh, film that yeah, right, right. should be nominated for best picture. Like... I think it's like they look at the landscape, you know, everybody from the different, you know, uh, crafts, like they all vote on best picture or they all nominate for best picture. You know, it's not like, you know, I feel like having a seat at the table and saying what you think is the best picture, that that's a good thing. And it should be representative of all kinds of things, especially films that people are paying money to see and people that want to see those films acknowledged or at least talked about. Because that's exciting, you know, when you identify with something and you say that you love something, you know, 
regardless of like, you know, if it's problematic and if there's a conversation around something, that's that's separate from what I'm just talking about. I'm just saying if this film, you know, is in the conversation at all where it's getting a lot of nominations for a lot of things, like people are feeling that way. Like these aren't just arbitrary nominations. Like people that nominated Bohemian Rhapsody for best editing are people that belong to the editor's branch of the Academy. So that that's something right, that I right. think gets forgotten a little bit. Like it's just like, they're just like cherry picking names to throw into a category to only get ratings or to only talk about movies that they think people want to talk about. Cause that's obviously historically not true. And, um, but like, you know, back to the best picture conversation, it's like, I, I personally don't have a thing against, a, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody being nominated because like, you know, you guys were saying like, it's super accessible. It's pretty straight down the middle. Like, you know, like you said, paint by numbers, whatever, however you want to call it. Like, it's very accessible biopic that came out around the holidays that people love the music that's featured in it. And like, you know, and the central character is kind of like an icon. So it's like, that all seems to make sense. And the movie wasn't horrible. So, I mean, that works in its favor to like stay in the conversation. And the performance is like, you know, is the standout piece of the movie, whether you like the movie or not, or even love his performance. Like that's what people... A lot of people will, will will come away from the movie talking about that and the music. So, I don't know. It's just like a weird thing. Like, you know, kind of what you were saying about it being like really obvious that there's like, you know, like a, 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 a conflict of identity in terms of like what the Academy looks like and how the voices are being heard. Um, but, you know, I think the context remains that like whatever that body is, you know, they're the ones that are nominating these things and voting on these things. And the best picture is like the most problematic only because it's like the preferential balloting. So like, you know, you could vote for your favorite film and your number one film could be could have been like, you know, Vice, for example, which is probably like the one that the least amount of people ranked as number one. And, you know, the way that works is that I could feel so passionately about Vice that I'm like, it's my number one. And if it's the lowest counted number one balloted film it basically just falls out of the conversation and whatever movie I had is number two, then gets a number, you know, then that gets looked at as my number one choice. And that's just like a weird conversation because that's, I think what a lot of the green book effect, I think that effect is what really kind of like propelled green book because I feel like some people really felt strongly about films like black Panther and maybe even black Klansman or a star is born or even Roma but I think it's some of these films, some of these other nominees that were like, you know, the ones that really had no shot at winning, but people really felt strongly about and voted as it, you know, as a number one choice. But then they also kind of liked Green Book and they also kind of liked Bohemian Rhapsody. So like these films ended up getting a lot more of a, what do you call it? Like the strength in the numbers, you know, like in terms of the math of it all. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like rambling at this point, I feel like. But I, the, the the best picture thing, like the, the preferential balloting, my point really is, is that like when a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody comes in the conversation and it's like this super popular film, the likelihood of it winning when it's got like a 60% of Rotten Tomatoes is kind of low. So the people that are voting for it as their number one film of the year, all that's really doing is helping the other film that is like maybe not that great of a film like green book you know what i mean yeah so it's weird like the way that all plays together is just there's a lot of math involved and in some ways it seems like actually a really good system 
But for the films that basically just get that nomination as a kudos or as a, hey, we got, we're going to nominate this film because like a lot of people did like it, but there's no chance in hell it's going to win. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of efforts really end up helping the films that aren't really films that should be winning Best Picture, but that people generally still liked a lot. We're getting at something about some of these movies, too, which is that there's this perception of them in terms of the critical reception or the public uh, narrative, what you might call movies that are based on a sort of true story, you know, like Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Klansman. These are all movies that have that based on a true story thing going for them. But the more you hear about how they're really written in a way that is, you know, as often as the case, you have to combine real life people into composite characters. You have to create some characters. You have to squash time. You have to stretch time. You have to do certain things to make it more dynamic. Yeah. I don't know exactly how I feel about this. I know that they have to make an interesting movie, and that's what I'm all for. But I also wonder what is the value of based on a true story if it's not a true story. And if you do hear about certain things like with Green Book, the family of uh, Mahershala Ali's character being disappointed in the way the film treats the story because it's based on the son of the guy's white driver, not not the man himself. And that I can understand how that does devalue the movie for right, some people, right. despite the movie seeming to be a movie that a lot of people really uh, like. So what do you guys think of that? Like, does, does that devalue the movie for you? Or are you at peace with that notion of the truth is never going to be a movie, and so just make the best movie? I, I, well, I'll say when it comes to biopics, I know this sounds crazy what I'm about to say, but I don't ever want to hear anything from the family because you have a bias built into your perception of a person, right? Have you ever spoken to someone who knows a person and you may be a little closer to them and you're like, man, I don't know if you know. Right, right all the things about this person. It doesn't mean that you don't know them. It's just... You know them differently. Right. Who this man is to this driver, you know, who, who he may have opened up in a different way. He may have seen things in his in his sexual life that maybe his family didn't see or, or this man didn't want to reveal. So I don't ever want to hear the family's perception of that thing. That's not That's not who I want to hear from. Not when it comes to that sort of thing, because the bias is just built in. You just don't know. Now, in terms of historical accuracy, literal, like, this happened here, this happened here, I was very interested in the argument that Boots Riley made when he basically put out this dissertation about Spike Lee's, uh, uh, the accuracy of Black Klansmen, and things actually not happening historically, like just in the order that was presented in this movie, which was interesting, and the accuracy of it, which is interesting. Um, I'm okay with that stuff being challenged, but I also have an idea that like cinema is not necessarily all supposed to be accurate. It's a it's a composite. It's it's fluffed up a little bit. Yeah, I'm all right with that a little bit. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I take those articles in with a grain of salt. I really am interested in the accuracy of it, but I also understand that to make something work, there are some liberties that people take, but do you have to take those liberties and make a good movie? I don't know. I don't think so. I I kind of pretty much agree with everything you're saying. I, I feel like, I feel like when it comes to it, I just, I think as a whole, if you've shown effort that you've done your due diligence in trying to represent it to the best ability that, you know, you have access to or your source or whatever it is that, you know, the story that you're planning to tell, like as long as that kind of like effort has been shown, um, mm-hmm. 
I feel like that's a really important thing that gets glossed over a little bit. Like if, if there was no communication with Don Shirley's family or like they weren't involved at all in talking about this, like I'm not saying that they need to be the authority on what it, what this movie is saying, but I feel like, you know, there, there, I feel like there should be conversations about, you know, what your intentions are when you're trying, when you're going to tell a story about a real life person with whatever story you're telling you know, in that person's life. Like it's, it's, it's a snapshot of an experience at a time in that person's life. And that's really what that story is like about green book or, you know, with Bohemian Rhapsody, like, you know, how it's like a Cliff's notes version of basically like a jukebox hero, Cliff's notes version of Freddie Mercury's life. You know, that that's arguable if, if that's the biopic that people really wanted to see. And I mean, it seems like it was cause it was a huge hit, but in general, like I, I pretty much accept the fact that it's never going to be fully accurate because in most cases, um, you know, the, the, the two sides of the story on the screen are never going to, you know, usually not going to be available to be told together in a room at the same time so that we can try to be as objective and try to be as fair and, and accurate to what happened from both parties, you know, from both sides of the story. I just... I just don't see that as realistic in, 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 in life and, you know, in time and in, in, in life and death. Like, you know, it's just not a real thing. You know, like if I came across a story that I if I was a filmmaker and I was like, you know, this story has to be told, you know, I feel like it's your responsibility to do your best to try to, you know, fully encapsulate what this story has to say about the person, about the time, about the, you know, the country, whatever your story is. It just there's a general like due diligence. I think that sometimes just doesn't seem like it happened or that it's happening or, you know, that, that is problematic. I mean, I agree with Ronald. Like if it's based on a true story, based on true events, I go in assuming that this is not exactly how it happened because I don't believe personally that like you're ever going to truly, truly get a full representation from all sides um, of what went down because like Ronald said, like, you know, when a family gets involved they're the way they knew a person is completely different than, you know, maybe a person that they had a, a couple month relationship with or whatever it might be. And, and that is a real thing. But let's, let's be clear though. Green book is written by the son of the Vigo Mortensen character. So it does have family <laughs> involved right, in, right. in burnishing the story. So, I mean, I know what you guys are saying, but I'm just saying that like, it's still somebody's point of view. I, I, I actually don't have that strong of an opinion one way or the other. Cause it t- seems to me, it, I always base it on the movie. I love a lot of movies that are supposedly true. And I know that's not how it really happened. And I, I think the thing I do, and you, you just said it, Steve, I just go, well, I know this isn't true. This is a movie. Right. It's exactly right. Do you think the average moviegoer makes that same assumption, and that's and or do you think people are not curious enough no. to, to dig around uh, about what the truth? I don't might think be? so. So the movie kind of becomes the truth after a little while if it's a popular movie, right? So so there's there's a conversation of like who has the access to tell this story. So that's problematic in in one way because this is a white guy who has access, and you know it's it's co-written and directed by another white guy who has plenty of access in Hollywood. So. The story that was to be told by Don Shirley and his family or his descendants, that road to making it happen surely would not be as easy for them as like, you know, Nick Vallelonga or Peter Farrelly. So that's that's one conversation. But I'm just saying the film that's being made, whatever that route was taken to get to it, I just say my opinion is I assume 
that it's not going to be fully accurate because that other half is not involved. Like, like, I'm, like you just said, and like I just clarified, but I, I would like to assume that there has been due diligence in at least trying to discuss things with that other side, even if they're not the ones making this film, mm. you know, like that there has been a conversation about what your intentions are. You know, even if we don't agree on some things, like I feel like you need to be forthcoming or at least make an effort to like try to best represent it from the pieces of information that you don't have or that you understand could have been taken a different way by a different person. That's that's what I mean. Yeah, I definitely get that. But it's it's never gonna it's never gonna be perfect, honestly. Like I feel like you know, anybody could just pick any random biopic or based on a true story, and there is something there will always be something that is like inaccurate or you know, and, it, and it's immediately proven because there are people that dissect it like that. But, uh, you know, like you just said, John, I feel like a mass audience, if they identify with the film and the film's embrace and is successful and, you know, it becomes a memorable film. Like, I, I don't feel like most people are doing that. I mean, they're coming away saying, man, that was like super entertaining. And I, I, I love that story. And like, it made me feel good, you know, or like it, it shows that we should just love one another, you know, for who we are, not what we are, what we look like. But it's like, that's what they're walking out of the theater talking about. They're not walking out of the theater saying, well, I wonder how Don Shirley's family feels about this. Like most people I don't believe are doing that. There's tons of great movies that, that take a tiny kernel of truth and spin it into some kind of cinematic gold. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think that's something that movies do really well. Yeah. It puts me in mind of that line from uh, the man who shot uh, Liberty Valance when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of what biopics are. <laughs> For sure. Were there any wins in particular that we didn't get to yet that 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 stood out to you? Um, I'm trying to think. Well, I was really happy the Spider Verse uh, one. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was, you know, not Pixar, not Disney. I that's thought huge. that was like a great statement about that movie. And we we had some back and forth about, and it's still unclear, I guess, if uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse is going to outgross Solo. But as far as, even as someone who loves Solo, I love the vindication of Phil Lord and Chris Miller being kicked off of Solo <laughs> and then winning an Oscar. That's insane, man. Ruth E. Carter winning for the costume design of Black Panther was just one of those wins that felt right. I, I just was in that category. I was like, they might give this to the favorite because that's the kind of movie that usually wins for costumes. But Black Panther, don't you think the, the look and feel and style of that movie, what people responded to, had a lot to do with the... The costume design. Yeah, man. So that was a great win. And her speech was great, I thought. It was. It was. It's weird. I don't, I don't really like... I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of odd. Like, I feel like Spider-Verse was really exciting. But for the most part, like, I just kind of felt like I, there wasn't really a film that I was, like, really, like, banging the drum for, uh, you know, like, throughout the categories or, like, something that had a lot of nomination. I mean, Star is Born, but I kind of, like, knew that it wasn't going to win much or had a feeling that it wasn't. Um... I don't know. Yeah, I feel like Spider Verse was probably like one of the more exciting ones, just because like it's just insane um, that it that it. I mean, it's great that it won. And uh, uh, what there was, um, I feel like there was one more that I thought was really a good win. Um, I don't know. Oh, oh, I liked the the best director um, having seen Guillermo present and uh, be able to. Give Alfonso the Best Director Academy Award was a really nice thing. Like, you know, two really good friends, and like you could like the hug was really nice. And like, I think I, I did get to see uh, Roma, and like while you know, I was telling you guys, it's not like 
right up my alley in terms of the films that I like uh, and love and fall in love with. Like, it, there's no denying the achievement that it is. And I mean, he is, you know, a master of 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 cinema. I mean, like, living. He's one of the, you know, the, you know, it's not even a conversation. Like, there's probably three or four people that would probably be in the conversation. But like, he's amazing. And uh, just I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was a really important win. And like, especially with Roma not taking home Best Picture. Like, I feel like I look back on that more. And and it, it's pretty crazy to see him win that, and earlier in the night winning, you know, cinematography and like being the first to, sh- you know, shoot the film himself and and win both of those awards in Academy history. Like that's amazing. Like it's such an achievement. No, yeah, you're right. That is a cool bit of trivia that he's the first yeah. to do that. He's a guy that you you just have to watch his movies. They're always so beautifully put together. And I've been joking with you guys about having a hard time getting through Roma. Um, but I just have had a hard time locking into certain things lately because of other options. Sure. I didn't get around to seeing Green Book either. If I'm going to watch Mahershala Ali develop a brotherly bond with a racist white dude, I want it to be Stephen Dorff. Because <laughs> I was watching True Detective season three, and I thought Mahershala Ali, I mean, I don't know if he's better in Green Book than he was in this, but this was, this performance is phenomenal in True Detective. Oh, no, I mean, it is, it is, it is. He's way better in True Detective. Oh, God. I mean, like, but I mean, the the... It's like next level. The, the way that show, I know. I mean, there are people that 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 seem to be bothered by the stylistic ticks of that show, and other people that seem to embrace them. And I do agree that the second season of of True Detective was a was a was a mess in a lot of ways. It had some good things going for it, but it didn't really come together and have that pull that the first season did. And I f- found the third season to have that hypnotic allure that the uh, that the first season had. And in the end, I came out of it liking some of the characters and some of the moments. There's some beautiful character moments that can only happen if you're playing these relationships over this span of time. And I, I, I loved the way that it moved back and forth through the different eras. And I thought Mahershala Ali's look and performance and yeah. dress, everything, um, it was just, I mean, I... It, towards the end of it, you're just you can't take your eyes off of him. He's always doing something interesting. And Stephen Dorff, who I've seen be good before, I was I was kind of blown away by what he was able to do too. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I think that should have won Best Picture. <laughs> there you go. That, that that that's the hot take from uh, Movie Schmovie. Uh, True Detective for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just to wrap it off. I mean, overall, I, I actually found the broadcast to be pretty good. I mean. I think, you know, like Ronald said earlier, kind of like parsing out like and how they kind of show the best pictures throughout the night was kind of cool and kind of having like unexpected intros from some people like for the films, which some seem random, some seem kind of inspired. Um, But, you know, I felt like it moved pretty good. You know, the big takeaway for me was just like that feeling of, you know, we're in a period right now where like over the next five to 10 years, it's going to be a big change is coming to the Academy. It's just like in that awkward adolescent phase right now where it doesn't know what its identity looks like and you know it's kind of going through growing pains and like you know experiencing all that so it was it was weird to see that happen up and down throughout the night but you know in years to come it should be interesting to see how much it shifts back towards like what the real pulse of you know people seeing movies are are like today what else anything else guys are we are we good to go i'm good i think that's it for me all right, well, you can find us at MovieSchmovie.com, MovieSchmovie on Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred podcasting platform is. Um, MovieSchmovie at gmail.com if you have any feedback for us or on Facebook as well um, or any ideas for upcoming episodes. We should have some good stuff coming up here. Um, we'll get back into our regular schedule in terms of uh, the output that we have. Um, and there's some movies coming up, you know, pretty soon that I think we're all really excited to kind of check out and talk about. So that, uh, that's something to look forward to as well. Absolutely. Um, 
But yeah, good talking to you guys. Yeah, and uh, as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye. Bye.